Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, what is up, City Collective Church? It's so good to be with you today. My name's Jason, I'm part of the team at Avant Life Church, and uh, it's an honor to open God's word with you. And uh, actually, I've been sort of like a fan from the sidelines of City Collective for a long time. Uh, Pastor Jason and I were in the sort of same church planting journey at the same times as launching churches. We were in Surrey, you guys in Langley, and uh, Jason has become a great friend in that journey. So it's really exciting to be here with you to open up God's word together. And I know that we're going through the Psalms, obviously not all the Psalms, but we're picking highlights through the book of Psalms this summer. And I love the book of Psalms. This collection of songs and poems, verses and chapters that really do seem to connect with us in a different way uh, than any other book that we might read. There's always something that I relate to when I open up the book of Psalms and I read these verses. Because what we find as we open up these pages are deep expressions of emotions that we all experience as human beings. It seems as though these words are able to put things into, uh, connect with our emotions and our feelings in a deep way. Uh, Not even just in our emotions, but even deeper into like the core of who we are in our soul. These verses and chapters are real and deep and honest looks at the issues of the human heart. They speak about discouragement, failure, storms, triumph, tragedy, joy, heartache, confusion, and disillusionment. And today, as you and I are invited to step into and live in Psalm 51, we're gonna see that the author, David, is expressing through these words emotions of deep and intense guilt remorse that he's experiencing and expressing for his sin and his brokenness. And as he's doing that, he's trying to deal with his guilt and deal with his shame in a way that connects him back with God as he tries to walk down a road of repentance before God. You know, that feeling of guilt, you know, that feeling of shame, I I think this is something, I mean, like many of the Psalms, like we've said, is something that we can connect to and relate to as human beings. It's part of the human experience as fallen humans in a world marked by sin. And it's this way because none of us are perfect, right? Like maybe you're here and you feel like maybe you're, maybe you're more perfect than I am, but I know that I'm not perfect. And therefore guilt and some shame is part of what I experience as a human being trying to work this out. I think if we stop and we consider our life long enough and we really take a look at our actions and our heart and our motivations, we would find moments of regret and remorse for the things we've said or done or the things we haven't done that we know we should have. Like maybe you can think of a time, like even like, let's go to childhood for a minute, like keep it easy for a second. Like you can remember those moments where you felt guilty, can't you? It's like, you ever scratched a car? I I remember one time I, uh, I was like 16 and we were 
I was uh, with some friends and my friend, we were driving her mom's car and uh, I thought it'd be cool while trying to get the front seat before some of my other friends to hood slide across the car, right? And uh, the problem is, is as I was about to hood slide over her mom's car, I forgot to jump and I just sort of ran into the side of the car and left two big dents. And you know, like a lot of kids, when you like do something wrong, you try to hide it. And we had this elaborate scheme, but I just was crushed by this guilt over this thing. Like maybe you can experience or remember moments like that. You broke something, you stole something, you told that lie. We could relate to some of these like silly stories or instances as children growing up and feeling guilty for something that we have done wrong. But maybe today, like if you stop and look at your life, you actually feel something that's a little more serious than scratching a car or breaking something or telling a little lie. Like maybe today the, the guilt or the shame that you carry or feel is because you're being unfaithful in your marriage. Maybe, maybe the guilt or the shame that you're feeling today is because you've lived a life full of misplaced priorities. You haven't given the amount of time or effort to the things that really matter and now you're feeling like you've lost all the time that you had. Maybe you live in the midst of a failed marriage that affects your kids in ways that breaks your heart. Maybe you've made decisions that have ruined or strained friendships or maybe you today have a, a secret struggle of addiction, whatever it might be. So when we feel guilt, like what do we do with it? How do we cope with these feelings of guilt and shame? Because we all have coping mechanisms. And, I, and I've talked with people who have tried to cope with their guilt for decades. Here's what we tend to do. We all have vices when we feel guilty to try to not feel guilty anymore. But maybe, maybe your response is something like this. Maybe your first response is to just run and hide. It's like, like me and that car. It's like I'm just trying to hide the mistake. And so we do everything we can to distract ourselves and others from the reality that we feel inside. We have this run and hide response. Maybe your response is to try to shift the blame. Where, where we create these elaborate webs of excuses to try and take the blame off of ourselves and shift it elsewhere. It was their fault. It was because of this that that happened to me that I responded this way. We try to shift the blame. Maybe your response is to try to work it off. What I mean by that is like we, we, when we feel guilty, we know we've done something wrong, we try to do enough good things that we feel like we've tipped the scale back in our favor. The problem with this is we spend our whole life wondering if we've actually tipped the scales and who gets to determine when the scale is actually tipped in our favor. Maybe your response is to just stop caring altogether. This is a great coping mechanism. It doesn't actually deal with our guilt, but if we can just stop caring about the consequences, if we can just stop caring about uh, the results of our actions, it feels easier, at least temporarily. Or maybe your response is to just redefine the standards altogether. We see this a lot in our culture these days because our culture, we absolutely hate to that feeling of guilt or shame. And so one of our strategies is to just change the standards altogether. What once was shameful, we just tell ourselves it's not anymore. And maybe you have that strategy in your own life. All of these things, whether maybe you, you tend towards one more than the others, but all of these things, what they'll do is they'll numb that feeling for a while, but they actually don't deal with our guilt. They're coping mechanisms that help in the short term, but our guilt still remains. 
And now let's complicate the whole thing even further and let's throw God into the mix. Because when God is added to all the equations of things that we feel guilty about, then we most certainly are guilty. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reality is, is that whether we recognize God as in our life or as real or not, is that we're guilty before God. And if in my normal life, I feel like I am guilty and don't hit the standards all the time, when I throw God in the mix, it just messes it all up. Like if I can't meet the standards I find in my day-to-day life, like how can I ever match up to the standard of a perfect God? So how do we respond to our guilt with now God in the picture? It's at this point that many of us, if we acknowledge God at all, we will try to run away from God. We'll try to hide our sin from God. We'll try to hide our shame and put it in a pocket in our life and just try to ignore it. We might sit in seats and log online and and, and be here all the time going through all the right Christian motions, but we know we're not letting God anywhere near that shameful or guilty part of our life. We don't want God looking at that. We want to put all of that aside because at some level we're pretty sure he has no interest in getting his hands dirty in that mess. But in the 51st Psalm, we see a different kind of response from David when faced with his own guilt. Here's the backstory, and I'm just going to go really quickly, but you can go on and read it in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. This is where David is writing. David is king, and it starts in chapter 11, and it says this, at a time when kings went to war, David stayed home. This is the first problem, is that, is that David wasn't where he should have been. He abdicated responsibilities and parts of his kingship to others, and he stayed home. And one day, while at home, instead of at battle, he's on the roof of his palace, and he looks over, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba who is bathing. And he thinks, that's awesome, and he looks longer than he should. And and you know what? I think we can maybe relate to this, this situation where we've been in places before. I don't know if you can relate, where it's like, I've seen something or I'm somewhere I know I shouldn't be. We have that, that moment of choice. Am I going to get out of here? Am I going like, to like, like make the right choice? Or am I going to linger a little bit longer because maybe I won't get caught? This is where David is. But he doesn't just linger. He takes it a step in the wrong direction. And he calls for her. And there, she, he's brought to her. Uh, she's brought to him. And they sleep together. And she's pregnant. She lets the king know that she's pregnant. And David goes into, you know, disaster management. He's trying to figure out, like, how am I supposed to cover this up? So his first strategy is to call her husband back from war. Her husband is out fighting David's battles. He calls him home and he tries to just give him some respite and say, hey, go be with your wife. But Uriah, her husband, is an honorable man. And he says, like, my, my brothers are out there fighting. They're sleeping on the ground. How can I go be comfortable in my own house. I won't do it. And so David tries again and he gets him drunk the next night to see if that'll work, but he still doesn't go. So David has to take it a step further. He can't cover this up by making this whole thing look like a happy accident. So he sends word to have Uriah, her husband, killed in the battlefield. After he's killed, David takes Bathsheba, marries her, and he thinks it's all covered. But in chapter 12, 
sometime later, there's a prophet named Nathan and he comes to David and he comes to David and he tells a story. He says, David, let me tell you a story. There was a rich man who had tons of sheep and cattle and there was a poor man who had just one little lamb. The poor man loved this lamb. The rich man had guests come into town and rather than taking one of his many sheep to provide for his guests, he took the poor man's only lamb and slaughtered it and gave it to his guests. And Nathan asked, what do you think should happen? And David is outraged by this injustice. He's so angry at what he's heard. He says, this man, this rich man deserves to die, but all of it was about David. And Nathan says to David, he says, David, you're the rich man. This is you. And at this point, David is found out. Maybe you can relate to that feeling where you know there's no cover up anymore. There's nowhere to turn, there's nowhere to hide, there's nothing to, to deflect anymore. David is caught. He's overcome by the weight of his sin. Can you imagine the guilt David would have experienced in this moment? Like the scriptures describe David as a man after God's own heart. He's, he's the king that God chose to lead his people. He should have known better. And I'm sure not many of us can relate to exactly what David did, but at some level, we can relate to exactly how David felt. There's no way out. I'm caught. I'm being crushed by the weight of my mistakes and my guilt. Now, when the average person would be in this place, we'd be preparing our coping mechanisms of choice. But in Psalm 51, we see David write a different kind of response. Because in Psalm 51, as we read it, we see that it seems as though David is running to God, not away from God. He's not trying to make excuses. He's exposing his own heart. And in humility and honesty, he turns to God in the midst of his guilt. But the question I have when I read that is, how is he able to do that? Because it doesn't feel like a natural human response to run to a perfect God in the midst of our sin. If it was me, I would be running away from God. I would be trying to figure it out all on my own. I would try to hide some more. But in light of all the mess that he had made with his life, the question I have is what compelled David to run to God and not away from God? See, in David's response that we read in Psalm 51, we learn something about God. What I think we find as we look a little deeper into David's response is a beautiful gospel story begin to emerge. We get a picture of what God is like, and when we have the right perspective of who God is, it enables us to have the right response when we find ourselves in a place of guilt. So what do we know about God based on David's response? I want to make three observations today from Psalm 51. The first is this, in running to God with our guilt, we find love and compassion. God is loving and compassionate. It says this in verse one and two, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Did you catch that? It was really important that we catch this. He says, according to your love, according to your compassion. David makes an appeal for mercy on the basis of God's love for him, not on the basis of his own performance. 
See, many of us come to God and we look for mercy based on our merit. It's like, God, I know I messed up, but don't forget all these other things that I do. And we think if we can come to God with an impressive enough resume of Christian activity and good deeds that maybe we can earn some compassion from God. If I can just bring enough good things to the table, then maybe I can earn something from him. We might know all the right things to say about God's love, but our actions prove that we don't believe that he loves us unless we perform. We still think we won't receive love from God unless we earn it. But David comes to God with nothing. Empty hands. Not trying to help God remember all the good things he's done in the past. God, remember the battles I fought. I remember Goliath. Remember all of these things that I've done. None of that. He, he's not trying to explain away the, the circumstances. To be like, I was lonely and I was wrestling with things and I felt this. None of that. No resume, no excuses. He's just saying, God, have mercy on me. I have nothing to offer here. No plan to try to impress you. I know your love and compassion are about you and not about me. I think as parents, if you're a parent in the room, we can relate to this at some level, can't we? Because I look, I have three sons and I look at my sons and I know that they just have no idea how much I love them. And it doesn't matter what they do. I mean, there's days that what they do frustrate me, like just as like any parent where I don't, I, 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 they do what I don't want them to do. But it just doesn't matter. I love them. And could you imagine if you had a son or a daughter and they just were trying to earn their love from you based on all the good things they've done? Like if they came, if my sons came to me and they said, Dad, I um, want to remind you, uh, here's all the things that I've done right this week. I've kept a detailed list of all of those things. And I'm wondering if because of that, you will love me. Like I would probably smack them in upside the head because they did that. Like that just wouldn't make any sense because I love you no matter what you do. Now here's the reality is that my love has limitations because I'm just a human. But God's love for us has no limitations. It says his love is unfailing. David comes to God and says, I know I have nothing but I'm making an appeal to you based on your love for me. And this is the beauty we find in the gospel, is that we cannot do anything to earn love and compassion from God. And what we understand about God enables a right response when I remember that his love and his compassion are not about my performance. They're given freely. It changes the way I respond to God when I feel guilty. If I don't understand that God is loving and compassionate, there's no way I'm running to him with my guilt. But when I do realize that he's always loving and he's always compassionate, no matter what my track record looks like, it allows me to come to God in my sin. Because it's his love and kindness that leads us to turn away from our sin and turn to him. It's his love that draws us in. He's not angry. He's not waiting to punish. David's response to his own guilt tells us that when we run to God, we can expect to find love and compassion. The second thing we see is this, is that in running to God with our guilt, we find forgiveness. It says this starting in verse two to six. David says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin are, is always before me. Against you, 
you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. It's kind of an intense moment. David almost seems to go overboard a little bit. He says, like, I've been guilty and wicked from the very beginning. But isn't it funny how you and I seem like sometimes we come to God with excuses, right? Okay, here's the deal, God. It was like this. You got to know what I was dealing with. I was born into this family. I didn't know what the results of my actions would be. It's almost as if we think we can maybe sneak one past God. There's no excuses coming from David. Just God, I'm sinful and I'm broken. He says, I've been sinful my whole life and you are right to judge me. But if God is right in judging David, why does he run to him? It's because what we read in verse 7, it says this, David says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David says, I know you're the only one who can clean me. You're the only one that can make me new. David knew the only one who could deal with his guilt was the one who had the right to condemn him for it. See, as hard as David would have tried, he couldn't make himself clean. He couldn't work that off. And maybe you can relate to that feeling. Like you're trying to outwork and, uh, the weight of your mistakes by doing more good things and to try to like, like work it off. The only one who can make you clean is the one who holds the right to condemn us. But here's the gospel. The gospel says that God does have every right to judge and punish. And he does. God punishes sin. But the good news is this, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, the judgment of God is laid on Christ and not on us. Like sometimes we think that, that God's forgiveness is just like sweeping sin under the rug, but it's not that at all. All sin is punished. But for those of us who are in Jesus, the ultimate punish, punishment was satisfied on the cross. And now we get what we do not deserve, which is grace and forgiveness from God. Our debt paid in full. David knew that only God could truly deal with his guilt and offer forgiveness. You and I can't make ourselves clean on our own. When we take our guilt to God in honesty and humility, he is faithful to forgive us. When we run to God with our guilt, we find forgiveness. And lastly, in running to God with our guilt, we find a brand new heart. Verses 10 to 12 says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here's what I often do when I feel caught in my own sin. Is I try to make a deal with God. I say something like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. Maybe you've made that similar deal with God before. But it's just not true, is it? Like, how could we even make a promise like that? See, what the gospel shows us is that God isn't interested in just dealing with the external things of our life. But what he's really interested in is dealing with our hearts, the things that happen on the inside. 
And what the gospel has power to do that nothing else has power to do is change the human heart. David goes to God and he says, God, give me a whole new heart. He's not asking God to just tweak his behavior. He's not asking God just to like cover this thing up and put a band-aid on the issue. He says, God, give me a whole new heart. Because he knows that apart from a new heart, he most certainly would find himself back in those same places as before. And you have experienced this, and I know you have. Where you say, like, like you get caught, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better next time. And you do better for a little while, but you find yourself back in the same place. I've experienced this so many times in my life. What do we need? We don't need just some tweaks on the outside. We need a new heart altogether. The problem for many of us is that we've just settled for little adjustments. And you can work as hard as you want to change yourself by yourself. You can have a religious to-do list a mile long. You can go through all of the motions, but without the transformation of your heart, you'll end up back in those same places. True transformation comes into our lives when we push past those external things and allow God to do a deep work in our heart. Because right actions flow from a right heart. When we work ourselves senseless, trying to change our actions and satisfy our guilt, we find ourselves back in the same place and our work is in vain. We have to drop the act. We have to stop thinking that we actually have power to change the most inner part of ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We need to stop coming to God with our resumes and remember that apart from him, we can't do this. We can do nothing. But this again is the good news and the power found in the gospel is that God wants to give us new hearts. But this is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. He does the changing. And this is what we see David asking for. He's not asking for a quick fix. He's not asking for a get out of jail free card. He wants a whole new heart. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Like, like do the deep work. Don't just do the surface thing. Go deep and change me. See, the reality is that we are all guilty. And the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death, that what we deserve for our life and our actions and all of our sin is death. Therefore, the guilt that we feel, it's real. It's legitimate in a lot of cases. If you've never felt guilty, you're probably not looking closely enough at your life. But the good news is that we don't need to run away from God with our sin. We don't need to run away from God in our guilt and our shame. And the good news is, is that we don't need to carry the guilt on our own. Because the good news is that through Jesus, we can all receive the grace and forgiveness of God. But the choice is this, is what do you do in your moment of guilt? The choice is we can run away from God and try to deal with it on our own, or we can run to God. And when we run to God, what are we going to be met with? We're going to be met with his love and compassion. We're going to be met with his forgiveness. And we're going to be given a brand new heart. This doesn't always happen right away. This isn't always a momentary thing but it becomes the pattern and the lifestyle of a disciple of Jesus to keep coming back and saying, Jesus, do the deep work in me. So I want to ask as we get ready to pray and close today is what will your response be? When you are caught in your sin, 
when you are living under the weight of guilt and shame, what are you going to do with that? Maybe some of you are realizing today that the way you've been dealing with it isn't working anymore, or you just knew that already. I've been back here time and time again. I've tried to deal with this in my own power. I've tried to, to make all the changes on my own. I've tried to earn my way out of this place. And today you're here and you're just exhausted. The scriptures say that Jesus is endlessly patient with us. And the invitation for you and I remains the same. He says, come to me. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He knows how to deal with the guilt that you're carrying. But you have to run to him. And that's hard sometimes. But when we have a right view of who God is, like David knew something. He knew that when he ran to God that he wasn't, like he deserved punishment. He deserved consequences. But what he found was love and compassion. And what he found was forgiveness. And what he found was a brand new heart. That's what we can expect when we run to God in our guilt and our shame. Today, I just want to remind you, maybe you've heard this many times before, but it's something that I need to be reminded of so often, is that God is kind, that God is loving. It doesn't mean that he like sweeps our sin under the rug, but he's got a much better way of dealing with it than you and I do. And today, the invitation is for you and for me, Jesus would say, come to me. Receive my love and compassion. Let me cleanse you and let me give you a new heart today. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that sense of guilt is like it's top of mind. You know exactly that area that you need to come to God with today. Or maybe you need some time to process and think. But I just want to pray for us as we close and I'll hand it back over. And we want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and do the deep work of transformation in us as he points our hearts and our minds towards the hope and grace found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I invite you now to wherever we find ourselves today in living rooms, in kitchens, bedrooms, on devices. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would fill this space. God, I thank you that as we look to your scripture, we find that you are good and loving and kind God. You know the weight that we carry. You know the reality of our sin, yet you still invite us to come. And as we come to you, we find love and compassion. We find forgiveness and a transformation in our heart. And so I pray for those who have been too afraid to come to you, that their guilt and shame has kept them at a distance and they've tried to bear the weight of it on their own. God, I pray today that the lies of the enemy and the stories we've told ourselves about why we can't go to you would be silenced. And I pray that we hear the invitation of Jesus to come. Father, I pray that you'd make us clean. I pray that you'd transform our hearts. I pray that you would help us and empower us through the Holy Spirit to walk not just lives like in neutral, not just lives um, uh, trying to avoid sin, but lives of holiness as you set us free from our sin. You love to do that. And I pray that you would do that in our hearts today. Father, I pray that you would lead us into proximity to King Jesus, and in doing so, our hearts would be changed. We love you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.